To hear Chris Birch talk about it, Sand really gets a bad rap because he thinks Sand is fun, not just for him, but all riders. And if you disagree, well, it could be a sign that you either need to tweak your riding skills or perhaps you've missed one of the fundamentals. Well, that's just all talk. The proof is in the results. And time after time, Chris teaches riders to have fun in the sand, not just survive, but have fun. So if you fear sand or you struggle in it, this episode of Rider Skills should give you some clear answers and ideas and skills that will put a smile on your face the next time you look through your visor and see sand. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. I'm Sam Manicum. Ted Simon. Austin Vance. Simon Pavey. Bill Bragoon. Harry Gapetos. Jocelyn Snow. Charlie Borman. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Grant Johnson. Graham Jarvis. Quentin Smoke. And you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. It's wind pressure that powers the MotoBreeze chain oiler. No electrical or vacuum connections. It delivers the oil to a felt pad on your swing arm. No nozzles near your sprockets. One ounce of oil gets 1,000 miles or 1,600 kilometers. Get more miles from your chain and sprockets. MotoBreeze.com. And Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made heavy-duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system. And of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it. Tough, reliable gear, greenchiliadv.com. Best Rest Product is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA, comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Google Tech filters, cyclepump.com. You know, I think you could walk into a room of motorcyclists that are gathered for a day ride and clear it immediately, almost completely, by whispering just one word sand. Most riders hate sand. Now, maybe it's because we all talk about it so much and how bad it is and how much trouble we had the last time we rode in it. We all have these horror stories of things that happened to other people who rode sand. And then by the time you arrive at a sand patch yourself, you're already convinced that you're about to ride straight into the gates of hell, throwing your hands up and surrendering before you even start. But not everybody thinks this way. Chris Birch loves sand, and he thinks we all should love it too. Now, granted, Chris is one of the best riders in the world. And yes, he's an eight-time winner of the New Zealand Enduro Championship. He's been three times winner of the Roof of Africa race. And he stood on the podium seven times at Red Bull Romaniac. So yes, he's got skills that few of us could ever hope to even understand, let alone duplicate. But the thing is, Chris has been coaching for years now. And he is slowly, one by one, taking riders that either had no experience or trouble in sand, or that hated it or are terrified of sand, and turning those riders into sand lovers. So the question is, how is he doing that? How can he get someone who hated sand to ride in it and love it? Well, that's what we're here for today, to find out.
Rider Skills is an exclusive program we developed here at Adventure Rider Radio designed to give you the tools that can improve your riding skills both on and off-road. Now, of course, these segments are not meant to be a substitute for professional training. These are ideas and concepts that should you choose to try, you're doing so at your own risk. Well, sand is what we're talking about today. Riding in sand. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, I know the big sand. It's funny. I mean, I always think that one of those one of those questions that bounced around in somebody's helmet, or one of the common questions I should say, would probably be, is it me or does everyone have trouble in sand? Uh, it's definitely a difficult situation. Like it's uh, riding down a, a sand, a soft sand road is very different to riding down a, a firm dirt gravel road, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, once you get the techniques in place and you drop the fear, it's really fun though. So are you saying right off the bat that sand should not be feared? It should be respected, but it should not be feared. Mm, okay, I like this. We're starting off on the right foot. Absolutely. So why is sand riding difficult to begin with for most people? So on a, on a big bike, it's really vague. The, the bike's all over the place. It's flapping. It's moving around the place. Um, and it, I think for me, it, sand riding, uh, it can really highlight bad technique. So a lot of the time, if your technique is not perfect, you know, the, the firmer terrain, you can bluff your way through it. You'll be right. You'll get there sort of thing. Uh, but sand riding kind of magnifies every little mistake that you might have in your riding and shows it to you. <laughs> that can be uh, challenging. Well, give an example. What sort of thing? Uh, for example, like if, you're, if your basic standing position is not correct, uh, anyone that's listened to me talking about the riding skills before, I always come back to that first. You're not going to be stable on the bike. You're going to be reefing around on the handlebars too much, and the front end's just going to start flapping from side to side. We've all seen those videos of guys riding loaded adventure bikes down a, a straight sand trail, and it looks like they're trying to make 52 corners out of the straight, and it looks like a snake going down the trail. You know, that's that's a less than ideal riding style that's being magnified and, and, and displayed in the sand. Mm. All sand is not created equally. Can you talk about the different kinds of sand and the consistencies of that sand? Yeah, absolutely. So all around the world, you know, the sand varies a lot, just exactly the same as dirt does. So if it's, you know, wet, firm, uh, heavier sand, it can be not too challenging to ride. It can be very similar to riding dirt a lot of the time. The other end of the spectrum is the super soft, uh, light, like sugar sand they get down in Florida, um, the, the super soft sand we get in uh, like in places like Peru and the, and the deserts, uh, the, the dunes, that sort of thing. And basically the, the softer and lighter the sand, the, the more challenging it is to ride. And, and what is that? It, what's it about? Is it about the, the bike sinking in the sand or technically? Uh, the bike sinking for sure. Uh, you've got less traction, more drag in the front. Um, uh, the bike's bogging down. Uh, you're just working so much harder everywhere. Uh, traction's obviously a really big part of it, but uh, everything is moving. The, the bike's moving. What you're riding on's moving. It's yeah, a very dynamic situation. Mm, yeah, because you'd think about it if you're just like, think of a wheel rolling through sand, you think it would want to roll straight. I mean, why does it want to veer? Um, yeah, so often we find a lot of the time that the, the wheel's veering and moving around the place because the rider's making it do it. Oh, really? Yeah. And often on the firmer terrain, that's not an issue. Um, and it can be a, a, you know, not a non-problem. And then you take that into the sand and it's, it becomes a big issue. 
So while, while we talk about techniques for, for riding sand, do you use the same technique no matter the sand? Uh, no, it's, it's the basic same story, but, uh, you probably just magnify the technique. So imagine if the sand's firm, you might be using like, uh, what's it? Imagine there's different levels of doing the same thing. Uh, in the firm sand, you might be doing say like five out of 10 of the movement of the effort. And in soft sand, you're doing 10 out of 10, 11 out of 10. Right. Right. So, so really what you do is you train for the soft sand and everything else you can handle. Yeah, but not in the soft sand. If you just go diving on a big adventure bike, if you just go diving into the soft sand, you're not going to learn anything other than sand sucks. No, I understand. What I'm yeah. saying is if you work your skills to ride deep sand, all the other sands are within your abilities then because you've already done Absolutely. the hardest one. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. Like if, you, if you train for the worst case scenario, anything less than that's always going to be pleasant. <laughs> right, right. So, so let's start off with the, um, well, let's start off with the bike, really. Let's talk about yeah. the bike. Is there anything we can do to prep our bike to ride better in the sand. Absolutely. Um, so basic sort of chassis setup, um, I'll try and say chassis setup rather than suspension setup. Um, you can sort of tune the bike more towards um, uh, towards stability than ma- maneuverability and agility. So to create that sort of a setup, uh, you'd want to, first thing is push the forks down in the triple clamps. So there's very little sticking out the top of the, of the triple clamps. The lower the forks, the higher the front end of the motorbike, the more rearwards the weight bias is. Um, so the lighter the front becomes, which is good in sand. It's not digging in and pushing its nose into the sand so much. Uh, and the increase in stability you're going to have. And in sand, we want a very, very stable setup. That to uh, me seems like a fairly dramatic thing to do, to do that sort of modification. And in some bikes, impossible because, you know, there's a lot of bikes that don't have any room to, to lower the forks. Yeah, so it's funny. People think it's a really big deal. Uh, it's uh, eight bolts, like loosened, and then you just quickly push them down a bit, and mm-hmm. it takes about five minutes. And it can make an app a really, really big difference. Because um, obviously, like if you're on, on a big adventure ride and there's a hundred meter patch of sand, you're not going to do that. <laughs> you're not going to do that. No. Yeah. It'd, it'd be nice if there's like, some right. sort of. It'd be nice if there was some sort of setting that they had, you know, for the sand setting, you know, extended fork sort of thing. That would be yeah, much yeah, easier. Yeah. But if you're going to, right, I'm going on a big sand ride, mainly sand ride. The big issue here is the sand. I would definitely, definitely do that. Like it makes a really big difference. Mm-hmm. Um, rotating the bars back. So rolling the bars back a couple of degrees. So uh, the more you roll the bars back towards you, so angling the towards you, the more stable the bike will become as well. So it's going to give you, again, pulls that weight bias a bit further back, gets you your body further back on the bike, lightens the front, stabilizes the bike. And even just those two things alone, that can make a really, really profound difference to how an adventure bike goes through the sand. Um, so the KTM Adventure Rally, uh, it's been like seven or eight years ago now, we went from uh, Darwin to Alice Springs in Australia, but some of the most remote areas of Australia. It was unreal. We got access to these huge backcountry stations. We did 300 kilometers on one guy's station, on one guy's farm. Because wow. the, the guy's driveway was 50 kilometers long. Oh, man. Pretty cool. The first day was a loop. So we did about 250Ks loop, and there was a lot of soft sand in that loop. And uh, a lot of guys were very, very uh, stressed and, and challenged by the sand. And the, the people talking about, like, starting to turn around and go back to Darwin, like, no, I can't ride the sand. This, this is a bad idea. 
And uh, the organisers of the event, they, they had a riders meeting that night as they do every night and said, hey, if you're struggling in the sand, please come and see the mechanics. We'll see what we can do. And uh, we teamed up and we pushed the forks down and rolled the handlebars back on about 50 bikes that night. And the guys went from being really stressed about the sand to being able to actually make it all the way to Alice Springs and wow. be able to relax on the bike. And like, it makes a difference. So if you couldn't do the fork extension, like for instance, on my bike, there is no room to, to lower the forks. There, there's no more fork tube left up there. there there's nothing right. sticking above the triple clamp. If I was just to roll back the bars, would I still gain something? Yep, it'll it'll help a bit as well. And uh, it's a bit more extreme, but the years ago I rode a, a KTM 690, the, the older chassis style, they're quite steep in the front. I rode one of those across Namibia and that's all really, really soft sand where we were going. And I ended up with the forks actually sitting about five mil, 10 mil down inside the triple clamps, like little puddles of sand sitting on, on the on the hollow I created up at the, the top. It was just anything I could do to get that thing to track through this super soft sand. And so that's, yeah, if, if they do sit a little bit below, below, that's not the end of the world. Obviously, you wouldn't want them hanging right the way out the bottom of the triple yeah. clamp, but uh, yeah. How much of a movement will make the difference? Uh, yeah, five mil will make a difference. Um, okay. Yeah, it, it depends on where you're starting off from as well. So even for the average rider, they're going to feel five mil, most oh, likely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. A, a mistake sometimes we, we come across it with doing so many of these schools for, for beginner riders Often people will think that's the position of the forks and the triple clamps. That's how you set up how easy it is to touch the ground. And they're not considering the effects that they're having on the chassis there. So this is something that outside of sand that you need to be aware of, um, that the lower the front end of the bike, so the more the fork that's sticking out the top, the quicker and more responsive the bike will turn, but the less stable it is. And then the higher you have the front of the motorbike, the lower the forks are in the clamp, the more stable the bike will become. So we've come across several guys, several bikes around the world that's uh, sort of not several, like hundreds, um, where people have dropped the front end of the bike down to make it easy to touch the ground, thinking it's making it safer, and it's made the bike really unstable. So it's just a good thing to kind of consider that, uh, you know, when you make changes to your chassis, there's changes to the chassis, not just uh, your ability to touch the ground. Mm, just to be clear, when you're saying drop the front end down, because you also said drop the forks, those are two different things yeah. that you're referring to. When you're saying drop the front end down, you're saying raise the forks up, which is essentially yeah. dropping the front end. Yeah, down. so think about your headlight as, as a good way to describe it. So think about the headlight. The lower the headlight is, the quicker the bike will steer, the more responsive it becomes, but the less stable it becomes. Mm -hmm. If we raise the headlight, the bike will become more stable, but slower to respond. And in the sand, that's a good thing. Right. Because us responding, so you, you, you mentioned that already. You said that sometimes when people have trouble and they're wobbling all over in the sand, it's because they're actually doing it. Yeah. And that's part of what you're trying to take away by extending the forks out, so raising the headlight up and rolling your handlebars back. Yeah, so you're basically trying to make the bike less responsive. So it's going to respond slower to a good intentional positive input, which is a downside, but it's going to respond a lot slower to an accidental negative input, which is what we're doing a lot of by mistake in the sand. And by rolling the bars back, you're changing the leverage, aren't you, for your steering? This is where I have to confess I don't really know, like from a physics point of view, not being a physicist or anything, what that does. 
but I know from trial and error over, over many, many years that it works really good. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I, I'm not going not gonna to lie and say I, I completely understand what that does, but it makes a big difference. Well, I'm picturing as you roll the handlebars forward, for instance, up until the, the midpoint, you're getting your grips closer to the pivot point. And as you roll them backward, then they get farther away from the pivot point. So it would increase your leverage, but reduce the motion you get from your steering. So that's basically what you're saying. That's a much smarter answer. Let's go with that. <laughs> okay. And, and we're now, uh, now, now is that it for the setup? Um, so the other thing you can do as well is, uh, and this is going to take, depending on the bike, this is going to take a lot longer or a lot less time, is you can increase the rear suspension sag. So how much the back end of the, the bike drops down. So on bikes that have um, electronic suspension sort of thing, you could uh, say you're you're loaded up. You've got your panniers on that sort of thing. You've got your bike set on the luggage mode and the in the in the uh, in the electronics. You could just pretend that your luggage is gone. Press the luggage is gone button, and that will re- decrease the preload mm-hmm. and drop the back end of the bike down, creating the same effect that we've just got. So, for example, when we're doing this with BMWs, uh, with the GSs that don't have the ability to raise and lower the forks, we'll just say, I'll just pretend that you've got no luggage on. That will have the same effect, maximum sag, as we try to bring that chassis down in the back. So we're really cheating here. I love this. This is some really, uh, you know, interesting things to consider if you're going to be doing a lot of sand. So by dropping the back, you're doing the same thing as you mentioned at the front. You're raising the headlight. Yeah. So, yeah, think about the, the angle of the bike sort of thing. If the bike's, the angle of the chassis, if the chassis slightly angled back down, it's going to be more stable. If the chassis slightly angled nose down, it's going to be more responsive. Right. And what's really important here is these small amounts of, of adjustment you're talking about make a big difference. As your example Absolutely. said, with all those people who are having trouble with it and then an adjustment and all of a sudden they're better riders. Yeah. Yeah, it's just not working as hard. That's the big thing. Mm -hmm. And now just before anybody wants to send an email saying that the headlight doesn't actually lift up if you drop the back down, I get that. It was just the concept of it, of tilting the headlight uh, up. Yeah, Yeah, I guess you could say the beam up is what it would do with dropping it in the back. So what about tires now? What about about the kind of tires we run and what about tire pressure? Yep, so personally, I find the tire pressure doesn't make a heck of a lot of difference. So it's not like we're driving a four, you know, big Jeep or something where if you drop the tires down, you're going to get this massive, big, wide footprint that's going to let you float over the top of the sand. So my, I just use my, my kind of my normal average off-road adventure um, riding uh, pressures uh, for the sand. Um, it's not really my go-to move is, is dropping the, uh, the tire pressures down. I, if I'm struggling in the sand, I'll probably push my forks down before I'll drop my tire pressures exceptionally low. Oh, okay. That's good to note. Um, that might be a personal thing. What is your average off-road adventure tire pressure setting? <laughs> <laughs> Why um, do you always stress when I ask this? <laughs> because it's, it puts people down the wrong path and they get the wrong idea in their heads. Okay, well, how would um, you how would you describe it mid, then? Mid-20s. Okay. Mid, mid to low 20s in the rear. PSI. Not bar, sorry, because right. I still can't think in bar. <laughs> so the tire pressure is your your average off-road adventure tire pressure setting which is uh yeah uh, mid to low 20s yeah and, and just to clarify like if you're struggling in the sand there's no harm in dropping the tire pressure down a bit it's it, it might help it's probably not going to change your life 
but uh, there's no harm in giving it a try either. So yeah, experiment. Okay. Don't be shy. Yeah. What about tires? Does it, does the kind of tire make a difference? Absolutely. Yeah. So if you look at like uh, a race, it's a, a race bike that's set up for sand, the back tire is going to look like a paddle. Um, even uh, for sand dune riding, they make literally paddle tires. They look like a paddle seam tire on, on the back of the bike. They're great for super, super soft sand and just terrible anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, but then even for motocross where those things uh, are not possible, the the knobbly motocross tire for sand looks like the knobs are in a, in a paddle shape. And it's just about moving. There's no traction to get in sand. You're not trying to stick to anything. You're just trying to push enough stuff backwards to propel you forwards. So coming back to adventure riding, you're going to want a more aggressive, blocky, knobby sort of a a tire for sand riding that's going to just move a volume of dirt. So more sort of 50-50 tire that's big, wide knobs and little spacing just isn't going to be able to paddle and move that, that sand effectively, and it's not going to create the drive. So if you're going to do a big sand-based ride, you're going to want tires that are more towards that sort of 70, 80% off-road setup. Your 50-50s are going to struggle. What about the front? Spiky. Something that looks like a hedgehog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess the way to think about it is like for a Sand riding is probably the most challenging off-road situation, arguably one of the most challenging off-road situations for big adventure bikes. So in that situation, you're going to want the most off-road specific tires you can find. Okay. Why a knob tire in the front, a knobby in the front, if it's not driving? To make it steer, to stop it sledging and sliding, sliding outside to size that when you give an input into the front end, an intentional one, it does what you want it to do rather than asking the bike to steer in the front end, just floating around the place and going where it wants to go. Right. It keeps it rolling in the track rather than yeah. being pushed all around, sliding all around. Con- control, basically. Yeah. Control of that front end. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. So it, um, it's it's incredible. Sorry, just coming back. I, uh, last year, I got to go and ride across the desert uh, in, in Dubai, in the UAE, and I hadn't ridden with a proper sand tire for a while. And it was a reminder of like, oh my gosh, what a difference this makes. Like we were stri- oh, yeah. off the concrete road straight into super, super soft desert sand. Uh, I was on a 450 motocross bike and hooked third gear, gave it a handful and the thing just started to, to wheelie. Uh, I was expecting <laughs> it to wheel spin and it just power wheelied across the dunes. Like, oh, that's right. I've forgotten how good sand tires are. Well, what's a sand tire? You're not talking paddles. Um, it's like a semi-paddle. Uh, so it's the, the more knobbly that the, 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 the motocross knob style tires are shaped in like a, a, a in a semi pedal in a, in a cupped sort of a shape. Oh yeah. So I guess to bring it back to adventure riding, aggressive off road tires will make a huge difference in the sand. Okay. So the difference between running, say, a knobby aggressive off road tire as to running like a fifty fifty tire or something like that, how would you describe that? Uh, it's a lot easier. So in the early days, if you're trying to learn sand riding, you were going to want all the help you possibly can to make that a positive experience. So as you get better at riding sand, as you get better at riding off-road, you can get away with more sort of 50-50 tires that are going to last longer, give you that journey capability. But in the early days, when you're trying to figure it out, you just want all the help you can possibly get. Mm -hmm. And uh, an off-road focused tire is just going to help you more. Uh, just think about it in like units of help. 
was a good idea. Oh, I like so, that. So for me, like where I live, we have some really great windy, uh, you know, mountain uh, asphalt roads. And I have some friends that ride sport spikes and they want me to go out with them. I suck at riding on the road. So I need to put some really good road tires on because I need a lot of help. <laughs> I need that. those tires. I need those tires to forgive my mistakes and to keep me safe. Same thing if you're going onto the road, you sorry, the off-road, and you're trying to figure out a difficult, challenging situation like sand, you're going to want all the help you can get, and a good off-road tire is going to give you that help. When you get better, just like when I get to be a better road rider, I might be able to get away with a 50-50 tire and still keep up because I'm going to be, my weight's going to be in the right place, my line's going to be better, I'm going to have, you know, be a better road rider, but I'm not there yet. I need more help than that. I like that. Units of help. Makes sense. Nice. Okay, so what's the overall concept of, of riding through the sand? What, what do we have to know before we get into the, the technical parts of how we do it? So for sand riding, you want to be maintaining your speed as much as possible. Um, it, the slower you go in sand, the, the, the more difficult it is. That's a very, very, you know, awkward truth. <laughs> mm-hmm. The big thing as well is you want to use techniques to keep the bike straight. So the bike's not flapping from side to side, oversteering, that sort of thing. We're trying to use technique to keep the bike as stable uh, and as planted as possible. Okay. So um, should, we, should we talk about rider position before we actually get into act- riding in the sand? Absolutely, yeah. So for soft sand riding, you need to be standing up um, just so that you have the, the increased amount of influence that the, over the bike that you're going to need. So when you're sitting down, it might feel easier, but more stable um, when things are going well, but you don't have the control and the influence of the bike to uh, to keep the bike doing what you want to do when it, when it starts to get soft and, and big corrections are needed. So we need to be standing up and we need to be in a really good, strong standing position and we need to be really comfortable and familiar with that before we go into the sand. Mm, that's what you're saying about learning those those basics in the paddock sort of thing before you get out there. Those are the things you want to master before you even get into sand. Because the way you're describing it, like sand's sort of that high-level ride. It, it can be. It, it's definitely, uh, it's high effort and it can be high risk as well. So when you're working really, really hard physically and there's a lot going on, it's so difficult to adapt new techniques at that point. Like your, your process is already working overtime. So that's not a great time to be trying to figure out new techniques either. So I, I like to try and put as much in beforehand. And then when we go into the sand, uh, we're executing techniques that we've already already understand rather than, okay, figure everything out now. <laughs> Would you say high risk? Is that because of the speed that we're required to go in the sand? Um, no, it's very easy to lose control in the sand. Uh, and in, in my mind, which like we've got big adventure bikes here, you know, loaded up that sort of thing. Yeah. It's I mean, you see guys all the time tucking the front, you know, oversteering and shooting off the side of the trail, all that, all that sort of thing. Right. And that all comes with hitting the ground. And so it's you know you have to accept that uh, it's it's a bit more of a challenging and therefore risky situation. So we want to minimize that as much as we can. Okay, um, rider position. So, yeah, we're standing up and we want to be a bit further back on the bike than neutrals, than than 50-50. And a good way to describe that is you want to be as far back as the sand is soft. 
So if it's super, super soft, sugary sand, you know, the sort of stuff that you walk through and you sink up to your ankles just as you're walking around, that you're right out the back of the bike as far as you can, trying to keep the front light and the back heavy and planted and pushing through the sand. If the sand's not that soft, that's going to be a position that's going to actually put you off balance. So you don't want to be just hanging way out the back of the bike the entire time. But I think the good answer is as far back as the sand is soft. And okay. we're changing that depending on what's going on. And you, and you said standing up, that's the obvious uh, attack position or all the different terms that, that people use for this position. It, it's standing up, elbows bent, comfortably holding onto the bars, but not gripping them hard. Exactly. Yeah. And the, anyone that's done any one of my schools or have seen the videos that we produce, folding through the hips is the big thing. So you're not, don't have your butt tucked underneath you. You're using your hips properly, not your spine, not your knees. That becomes really, really key because folding through your hips, rotating through your hips, that only gives, not only gives you that stability, but it gives you the maneuverability in, in your hips that you're going to need for that sand riding and making those corrections. So, a real big technique to focus on, um, and especially in your in your pre-sand practice, is trying to use your hips, your shoulders, your foot pegs, everything you have available to balance and control the bike rather than your handlebars and your steering. So a good way to think about it and having your head is just no handlebars. So the mistake a lot of guys make, and this... Um, this permeates all through different sort of off-road situations. It's why a lot of people struggle with ruts and mud and that sort of thing, is they're using their handlebars as their sole way of correcting their balance. So the balance starts to go off to the right, but they make a little handlebar input that pulls the bike back underneath them, and then they're correcting through the handlebars all the time, not using their hips, not using their body weight. That's why when we get into the sand, the front end just starts to flap around the place. And again, that, that, they have this video in my head of just guys coming down a straight sand trail, just going corner, 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 riding like a snake. Mm -hmm. That's all handlebar inputs for the balance. So when you get in the sand, the bike starts to move around no matter what happens, no matter how great your technique is, the bike starts to wobble and move because it's an unstable surface. If you're correcting those wobbles and those balance changes through your handlebars, they exponentially increase the wobbles. If you're using your body weight, your shoulders, your hips, good mobility in your body through good, correct body positioning, we can leave the handlebars alone. So it's like, okay, bike, I need you to go straight down this trail and I'm going to help you do that without any extra input through the bars to allow you to make that to happen. I know this is hard on your bike. I'm not going to make it any harder. I'm going to help you. The other side of it would be, okay, bike, I need you to go straight down this trail but I'm going to make you go corner, 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 corner to get there. It just doesn't work in the soft sand. Mm -hmm. So that requires you to reprogram your brain to use your body weight, your hips to balance the bike, not your hands. Really easy thing to say. Can be a very challenging thing to do. What about your knees? Are, are, you, are you pushing your knees against the tank, against the frame? Yeah, so for me, I want to be able to keep my upper body really loose and maneuverable, and then there's a lot of movement going around. I want to keep my hands really soft and relaxed. I'm not holding and gripping and fighting the bars. So that means I have to hold on with my knees. You've got to grip the bike with something. If it's not going to be your arms, if it's not going to be tension through your upper body, it's got to be your legs. That's all you have left. 
So I'm really trying to lock in using my legs, my knees, mobilize through my hips so, so my, I can still move. It's not like a big death squeeze from my glutes down, but it's like locking in through the knees, locking in through the ankles, squeezing the side of the bike. That bit's really strong and everything else is loose and maneuverable and usable. Okay. Anything else we need to know about body position? Um, all the general good body position stuff we have, you know, big wide arms, wide elbows, uh, head up, looking all the way down the trail, you know, all the, the good techniques that we kind of all know that we should have that, we, that we're building in. Yeah, we've talked about them before as well. Yeah, trying to magnify all of that. Um, when the sand's rough and grumpy, um, that whole low triangle getting quite closer to the bike to reduce the leverage on it, all that sort of stuff starts to play and, and magnify. Okay, so let's let's just imagine that we sort of pulled up to the sand, into the sand, and we're going to start off. How do we do that? Uh, so you, you've come to a stop. Okay, we're, we're going to take a quick break here. I'm going to tell you about a few things that I'm sure you're going to want to hear about. But when we come back, we've got a lot more that we're going to talk about and some key things that you will not want to miss. That's all coming up. Stay with us. Moto Camp Nerd is a store for motorcycle camping. Ben and Mary Williams have created a unique shop that specializes in motorcycle camping gear. They say that everything they stock is chosen because it works for motorcycle camping, packing size, and durability. They stock brand names like Nemo, Big Agnes, and Sea to Summit, and they're a real store. I mean, you can walk in and shop and have a look at their website. I mean, they've got loads of gear in stock. Now, of course, you can order online with confidence because you're ordering from riders just like us. Ben and Mary love motorcycle camping. So if you've got questions, wondering what's best for your trip, just contact them. They say they're happy to help get you sorted out. Motocampnerd.com is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Motocampnerd.com. Go light, go far, go fast. That is Giant Loop. Giant Loop, again, a company started by a rider. The difference, the Giant Loop difference, is the way they make the bags for the job. Unnecessary weight and bulk are removed from their design, so instead, you focus on a lighter, simpler approach that serves the purpose without all the extra buckles and straps that are so common on these kind of packs and gear nowadays. Giant Loop is well-known for their loop-style bags that mount on any bike, no rack required, and they have handlebar bags, tank bags, and some incredible-looking panniers. And if you're looking for a great fuel bag or a bag to haul your water in, this is really important on the bike, they have liquid reservoirs that are beautiful. They're really well-made, perfect for motorcycle adventures. The website is giantloopmoto.com. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio, giantloopmoto.com. Now, you've just heard Chris talk about the importance of using pegs for steering your foot pegs. To get the most out of your foot pegs, you want pegs that are extremely durable, that give your feet grip without tearing your boots apart, and that don't get plugged with mud and debris. IMS Products makes a full line of adventure motorcycle foot pegs that will allow you to get the most from your skills. Imagine a mechanic using lousy tools. You wouldn't want them to work on your bike, so don't ride on substandard pegs. IMS Products uses 17.4 cast certified stainless steel. They're made in the USA. They're warranted for life. IMSproducts.com is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. IMSproducts.com. Okay, so 
let's let's just imagine that we sort of pulled up to the sand, into the sand, and we're going to start off. How do we do that? Uh, so you, you've come to a stop in the sand. You want to get going again. Uh, you want to start in second gear on most bikes. So in the soft sand, once you get a bit of speed going, uh, the bike kind of doesn't dig down into the sand. It's like, kind of like a boat is the best way to describe it. I mean, it's like a speedboat mm-hmm. or a jet ski. When you're going slow and you're inside like a five-knot barrier, they're pushing all the water out in front of them. You're having to correct, correct, correct. The motor's working really hard. Blah, through the going slowly. Once you get past the five-knot barrier and you can get on the gas, the jet ski pops up out of the water becomes really efficient, and you just cruise along with one hand on the bars. It's kind of the same thing on the motorbikes. The quicker you can get to kind of that that planing speed in the sand so you're not pushing through and wheel spinning so much, the easier it's going to be. So if you can start really aggressively in second gear and go, right, we're going to get going now, like a full motocross start, straight up on the pegs and get to that almost like the planing speed of the sand as quickly as possible, the easier it it will be. What is the planing speed? Depends how soft the sand is and how heavy your bike is and how loaded the bike up is. That there's there's no way to answer that. Very situational. So again, uh, stories about motorbike riding. Uh, one of the uh, we did a big rally going up to the top of the North Island of New Zealand, and we went down Ninety Mile Beach, uh, which in, in New Zealand there's still a few uh, sections where the the beach is classed as a legal road. So we can ride ride down the beach on our adventure bikes completely legally. Um, nice. I was helping sweep, you know, towards the back of the ride, uh, helping some of the more beginner riders get through. And there was one group in particular that were taking forever, and they they were going so slow that the tide started to come in, so they couldn't ride on the nice firm sand like they were supposed to have been. And two hours ago, they were getting pushed further and further up the beach. They were really struggling. And but this beach is it's nearly ninety miles long. Like you need, and once you're on it, you're on it. Oh wow! Um, so I had to I stop the guys. Like right, I know this is scary, but I just need you to put it in second gear and just absolutely nail it until you get to fifty kilometers an hour. And you know it's all you know big eyes. That what's this idiot on about? Um, they did it thankfully, full gas up to speed, and then they could literally just sit down, cruise along, admire the view, happy times. As soon as they dropped below 50, the bike would just start to wobble and flap and spin and uh, working so much harder. And if you guys watch uh, watch Dakar at all, uh, you can see it there. Uh, the guys will be fanging along the sa- – sorry, that's probably a New Zealand expression uh, – down the sand roads really smooth, really fast. The bike's wiggling and moving a bit, but it's all staying pretty stable. They have to slow down for a checkpoint or a refuel or something, and the bike starts to flap and wobble, wobble. Like even the best Dakar riders in the world look terrible as they pull away from a soft sand start because it it's they need to get back up to that planing speed again to get make the bike work. So so when you're getting going, sorry, long story short, you want to be in second gear, building up a bit of RPM in the engine already, and then right, let's go. Aggressively feeding in the clutch, getting on the power, snapping up onto your foot pegs, hips back. Let's get this thing moving as quickly as you possibly can. Okay, we're at a decent pace now. Whew, now I can relax. How do you know what the decent pace is? Do you keep going until you stabilize, which is really yeah. counterintuitive? Gen- generally, you'll feel it, but okay, now I'm not working quite so hard. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And, I mean, the, re- the unfortunate reality is uh, sometimes the trail is going to be too windy, too much going on to get to that perfect planing speed, and that's when you're just going to have to work harder, sorry. Um, it's a, I, I'm hesitant I'm hesitant to say it because it makes me sound like uh, like a, an idiot motocross rider sort of thing. The faster you go in sand, the easier it is. That is the hard truth. But we need technique and skills in place to make that safe. It's not just, okay, mate, just just send it. You'll be right. Um, yeah, because you use the Dakar riders as an example, but you see what happens when some of them come off. Yeah, yeah, well, there's, yeah, those guys are going significantly higher than planing speed. Uh, yeah, 160 kilometers an hour is not the planing speed, just that's, to clarify that. slightly over the speed we should be going. But, yeah, but, yeah. But, but the point is, though, the faster we go, the harder we hit, right? Exactly, yeah, and, yeah. And that's with everything. And, and you made a very good point there that a lot of times you won't be able to get that speed, sort of speed up if you're on a tight trail or there's, you know, you have some turns yeah. or whatever the case is. I, I'm just curious, um, when you're teaching someone to ride, they really want to learn how to r- ride sand properly. Do you let, do you get them to ride slow to begin with? So they actually learn how to ride slow where it's more difficult or do you just get them at speed? Uh, so the process I'll go through is I'll get them off the sand first and just try and put a whole bunch of technique in place. Like we've talked about. So make sure their standing position is good. Make sure they're using their hips and their body weight to balance the bike, not their handlebars. Um, for practice launching them at that start on the firm ground. Like, okay, clutch out, power on, right straight up onto the foot pegs, let's go. Make sure their cornering technique's good, their braking's good. Just make them a, a, a good rider that's ready to go. And then we go into the sand and they have a bit of a battle and a bit of a wobble as they're, you know, going too slow, but we just kind of, kind of need to keep that speed down for the safety. Get to the point like, yep, they're starting to understand this. I'll pull them over, I'll sock them and go, okay, right. Now, just go faster. And then I'm like, what do you mean? Just do exactly what you're doing. Just go 20% faster everywhere. And it's the most fun moment ever because the eyes just open up like, oh, yeah, now this is working. This is cool. Why did you not tell me this a day ago? Because you would have crashed your brains out. You didn't have the techniques in place. You weren't able to do that. Now you are. Let's go. Let's go have some fun. It's the best part of teaching people how to ride sand. Is there a particular type of sand that you like to teach people in? Uh, I would, when we're learning, we'll try and find sort of heavier, uh, firmer, not firmer, but heavier sand. Wet sand's great. So, like the 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 area we do our sand training. If it's rained, then it, it's great to ride it. If it's the middle of summer and it's super dry and light and fluffy, it's really hard work. Um, so when you're learning, when you're teaching people, you're trying to instill confidence all the time. You don't want people going away thinking, oh, God, I suck at this. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're trying to find the, 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 the firmer, heavier sand to try to get the techniques in place before the challenge gets too much. What about um, paddling along with your feet? No, it's not a long-term solution. <laughs> no, but I, I mean, if so, like, you know, if, if somebody gets to the position where they're going to paddle along with their feet, is there a method to doing that that's safer than just winging it? Uh, so for me, uh, this might be my trials riding background. As soon as I take my feet off the pegs, I feel like I'm losing a huge part of how I control my bike. So I'm not saying that I never paddle through sand. Of course I do. Of course I have to put my foot down occasionally, but I'm trying to do the least amount of that as possible. So I'm trying to keep my feet up on the pegs to keep that plant and that drive down to the foot pegs and into the back tire, keep the traction. And then if I need to dab, 
the foot comes down, it comes back up on the pegs again. Mm-hmm. Foot comes down, comes back onto the pegs again. It's like tap and go, not, oh, I have to put my foot down. I guess I'll just flap and paddle until it's uh, until it comes right. Especially on my big 1290, that sort of thing, I'm kind of scared of doing that. I, I, I just start thinking straight away of ankles and tibs and fibs and that sort of thing. I want to get my feet up out of the way as quickly as I can. Mm-hmm. A lot of times you see that people will, will go into something that's technical and they have a little problem and then they're down in the seat and it's almost like they've given up. They started out everything right. They're standing up yeah. and they're all in, in position, but all of a sudden they flop to the seat and it's like, it's it's like everything goes back to ground zero. It's like they've forgotten everything they've learned and the feet are out and flailing around as they try and bounce yeah. their way through. So one thing we'll often talk to guys about with that is like, you know, plan A is going through that section of trail, feet up on the pegs, everything goes perfect, looking like a legend. Plan B is going through that trail with having to put your foot down occasionally. You know, you've still got one foot on the foot peg, one foot down every now and then, and you're swapping between the two, that sort of thing. And plan C is sitting on the on the seat, flapping, paddle, 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 like trying to bicycle it through sort of thing, mm-hmm. like a run bike. It's really hard to go from C back to A. So you go C, you, you start off in plan A, you, you have to put your foot down. That's plan B. Can, you, can I then go back to plan A? Yes, I can. Cool, cool, great. Then they're my plan A. The problem a lot of guys will have is they'll go A, C, and stay at C forever. Right. Whereas what you do is if you have to dab, you dab, you pull your foot up. If you have to dab again, you'll do it again, even, you know, several times, but you always want to be back on those pegs. Yeah, and keep trying to return back to plan A as much as you can, and that means you have, you can't go, um, sorry, I'm confusing myself now. You can't go C to A. You can go, you go C, B, A. Mm -hmm. B, A. B, A, B, A. Ah, oh, back to C, damn it. C, B, A, C, B, A. Yeah. And keep trying to come back to that ultimate situation, the best situation for controlling your bike as quickly and as often as you can. Yeah. The, like, I think the mistake, like you said, a lot of people will go, that they'll start off on plan A and then just not even worry about B, the first little wobble straight to C and stay in C until the trail allows them to eventually gather their act back together and, and get back to A. Yeah, well, many times it's all you see them bounce all over the place and they bounce out and they think they've made it. Well, you made it, but you didn't do it yeah. very gracefully and you didn't learn anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the other side of it as well is, hey, if you get down the trail, you've got down the trail. Yeah, know? well, that's that's true. I guess that's one way to look at it. But I, I think a lot of times, or sometimes, that bouncing can, can lead to crashing. Absolutely, and, uh, and yeah. that's something we want to avoid. We have a funny expression in the in the enduro bikes, and that's you know the big hill climbs, that sort of thing. That up is up, you know. Maybe it looked ugly. Maybe your feet were flapping around the place. But if you're at the top of the hill <laughs> and your friends saying. aren't, up is up. <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah. right. right. Okay. And it's something that I, I, I fell in a trap. I fell into uh, early in my enduro riding. So I, I came from trials and got into enduros, and I was obsessed with trying to do everything right. And I remember there's a big, long, difficult hill climb and I'm trying to keep my feet on the pegs and create the traction and choose the right line. And a friend of mine came past me, wide open in third gear, feet flapping behind him, bouncing <laughs> off everything, going twice as fast as me, going, ah, oh, trials riding thick ends sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> he got to the top of that hill way faster than I did. It was ugly as, but up <laughs> is up. 
and I think sand can sometimes be like a bit like that as well. Like you don't need to be super obsessed with trying to make it beautiful and pretty. Sometimes just getting on that gas, having a bit of mongrel and pushing through it, it could be the way. Are there any times you sit, like once you get up to speed, for instance, once you get up on the plane? Yeah, absolutely. So if, if it's like a big, long sand road, that sort of thing, and I don't feel like I need the movement and the influence that standing up uh, gives me, then absolutely I'll sit down. And it's, that's energy saving. Uh, if you don't need to be standing up, it's probably you're going to get more benefit from taking the time to have almost like a, a, a bit of a micro rest, a bit of a breather. But then in those situations, I'm ready to snap back up on pegs straight away as soon as I get any more of wobble that I think I can deal with or the I'm looking ahead, seeing that the sand's getting softer, the, the, the texture, the consistency is changing. Okay, I'll get back up on the pegs just in case. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sitting down to save my energy where I can, but I'm ready to snap back up on pegs at a moment's notice. For me, I never really let my guard down a hundred percent on the sand. Like I'm all, especially on my big bike, I'm always, you know, I'm always looking ahead, ready, uh, you know, ready for uh, for it to get ugly because it can get ugly quite quickly. And you know, living so close to Australia, we have all these stories of guys, you know, down these big outback sand roads. Oh, everything was going great. I was doing one hundred and forty kilometers an hour down it, no problem. And the next thing I know, I was just flying through the air. So what are you looking for when you're, you're saying you're always on guard? What, what are you looking for to turn ugly? What's, your, what's, so, what's going to set off the alarm bells for you? Uh, change. So any, especially when, you, if, when you're traveling through new terrain, that sort of thing, if the dirt starts to change color, the sand starts to look different, I don't know what that is. So I'll be ready to go to, in case it's a bad thing. Mm. So, yeah, fear of change. <laughs> Right, a healthy and fear also, of change in this case. A healthy fear of change. Right. And also feeling the bike as well. You know, if the bike's super uh, planted, it's, everything's been going good, then it starts to get a bit of a weave on. Maybe you feel like you're starting to have to wind on more power to maintain your speed. Those are all good signs. Of, hey, time to get up on the pegs, time to lock in. Something's changing. Let's be ready for this. Is there is there any um, technique or trick to slowing down and stopping? Uh, yeah, we... I, I don't want to say it. I don't want to say no front brake, but minimal front brake. So if we get hard on the front brake, uh, the front's going to dig into the sand. The bike's going to become very unstable. Um, so I would never say don't use your front brake because, hey, if like you know, a, a, a cow steps out of the bushes, a truck comes the other way, let's take a bit of flapping in the front end over driving into that. Um, but minimal front brake inputs. And a more advanced braking technique for the sand is to be holding a small amount of power in the throttle with, with your clutch out, so still a bit of forwards drive going on, dragging your back brake against that, which helps to kind of ground the bike, settle the bike, and stop the bike rotating forwards, and then starting to wind the front brake in to scrub off the speed. So you're powering against your back brake to create maximum stability and to drive the back end of the bike down into the ground and then using a smooth input of the front brake to actually slow the bike down. Mm, that's sort of Obviously like rubbing that, your belly and patting your head at the same time. It is. That's what I started off. It is a more advanced <laughs> technique, but it actually works really well. And it stops that sort of that flap and wobble that you'll often get as you get out of the power just to slow your speed down in the sand. Um, so yeah, back brake, 
a little bit of throttle and a bit of brake on the front as well all at the same time. If you want to get very aggressive, you could lock up the rear brake and it would really be easy at that point. Yeah, yep. So steep, steep sand downhills, that's actually a really good technique. Like you just lock the back wheel. That makes it dig in, lowers the back end of the bike slightly, takes the pressure off the front end, and you can get like a big, uh, like a little landslide of sand that you're pulling down with you. Um, so yeah, that, that is one of the times where we really uh, we can get some benefit out of locking the back wheel. Um, what about getting stuck and getting out? Never heard of it. <laughs> what are you talking about? Well, sometimes the odd person <laughs> may spin the rear wheel until they're actually stuck in the sand. Yeah. Not ideal. Um, so there's a, a good trick uh, for getting the big bikes out of the sand. Um, so you, you, you've kept the power on way too long, the thing's sitting on its bash plate, you've dug a hole, that sort of thing. Uh, you throw the bike on its side. Sorry, gently lower the bike down on its side. <laughs> <laughs> um, and kick the sand back into the hole. That you've, so the back tire's going to be up on, uh, up in the air now, up out of the way on, the, on its side. You kick the sand into the hole that you've created and try and pack it down with your foot, lift the bike back up. Now the bike's up and out of the sand. And in that situation, I'll do a little bit of a push just to get it out of that soft spot where, uh, where I've dug the hole, get it onto that firmer ground. And then we're back up onto the, on the bike in that sort of motocross start again. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a really good trick for getting the bikes up and out of the sand. And that works for mud as well. You can, you can do the same sort of thing. Yeah, it does work for the mud. It, except, for me, I, I use it the most in the uh, in the sand. Right, except for mud, you're probably going to be sticking something else in, like sticks or things like that, to fill the hole because you can't just stomp it back in place. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. But with the sand, like it takes seconds. You just quickly chuck some, kick some sand, and, and off we go again. Right. Uh, the other thing we should talk about is uh, is like all the, all the rider aids on the modern bikes now. Uh, so traction control, all that sort of thing. Oh, that's a really good point. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Soft sand is something that traction control doesn't help with. Um, and a good way to think about this traction control is uh, for traction control to be a benefit to you, there must be traction for it to control. Mm. And in sand, there's virtually no traction. We just need to spit in the back tire enough that, we, again, we've got that paddle steamer sort of effect. We're pushing enough material backwards that we're getting pushed forwards. So uh, too much intervention from your traction control, you'll – just as you start to get the bike going, it'll start to close the throttle on you, reduce that power, the opposite of what you need in that moment. So with the more modern systems, uh, like for example, like the KTM system with the with rally mode, you can dial that all the way down to one uh, in, your, in, your, in your slip assist, the minimum amount of assistance, and that'll get you going in the sand. Um, super, super soft sand dunes, like really soft sand, that's one of the few times I completely turn off my, my traction control these days. Um, the earlier systems that uh, don't have that adjustability, that's where you kind of want to turn that traction control off. It makes sense because it, the, the, that's what it's there for, is to stop you from doing exactly what you want to do in sand. Yeah, yeah. I've, I'm yet to come across a, a traction control system that works great in soft sand because there is no traction for it to control. Right, yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. What other sort of rider aids? Uh, so off-road ABS is really good in sand. Uh, so off-road ABS will give you complete control autonomy of the rear, so you can lock and slide the rear like we talked about. And it'll give you much more dig and slip in the front, but it'll help intervene at that, at that last second. Um, 
to stop you completely locking the front wheel. So off-road ABS, there's no real need to turn ABS off uh, if you've got that off-road ABS setting. If your bike doesn't have off-road ABS, then it probably is an ABS off situation. Because mm-hmm. otherwise you'll never lock up the rear wheel. Yeah. Yeah, it's just not going to want to break. Right. Yeah. Okay. What else? Um, well, whilst we're also talking about, you know, um, uh, maybe bike setup and that sort of thing, rider aids for uh, for sand, something I didn't, I meant to talk about earlier when we are talking about the bike setup. Um, riding in the sands can be really hard work on the bike. So if you're going to go and do a big sand ride, you're going to want to make sure that you've, you've topped up your coolant um, and you're kind of considering the bike a bit as well. Like you need to think about the effort that the bike's putting in. If you're lots of, lots of RPM, it's a really hot day, you're working really, really hard, you're on the clutch lots, your bike's going to heat up really fast and it's going to be really hard on the clutch. So in the soft sand, especially on the big bikes when we're traveling with our gear on, that's thing. a bit of mechanical sympathy is a good idea. If you feel the bike's getting too hot, you feel your oil temperature's getting up too high, that sort of thing, maybe stopping to take a break and making life a bit easier on your bike would, would be a good thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's no coincidence coincidence that we come across uh, the most burnt out clutches on, in sand riding. Uh, where I used to live, where I, where I grew up, there was a, one of these beaches that we could ride on. And uh, it's really soft sand track to get onto the beach. Nice firm sand down the beach and really hard, so- it's really difficult, sorry, soft sand to get off the beach. And it was not uncommon to find, you know, guys stranded uh, halfway off the track, off the beach with, with burnt out clutches. Where are they burning um, the clutch out? Just starting off, you mean, in second gear? Uh, just, they're struggling in the sand. They're just, you know, it's taken them, you know, half an hour to go half a kilometer sort of thing. And it's just <laughs> on the clutch the entire time. Right. So they're starting off and starting off and starting off and heating up the clutch. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And just not really considering the mechanical sympathy and, mm-hmm. Uh, abusing the bike a bit too much. Um, so going into sand, if you have a cable clutch, uh, you're going to want to make sure you've got lots of free play on that cable. So that's going to allow the clutch to heat up a bit more, take up some of that free play without it slipping. Uh, if you feel the free play disappearing on the clutch, so the free play is that, you know, the, the slack in the cable. If that starts to go away, stop straight away and readjust that or let the temperature come down until that free play comes back. If you're riding along without that free play and the heavy load of the sand, the clutch can be slipping slightly and it's going to burn your clutch out really quickly. So for traveling remote areas, that sort of thing, accepting that soft sand is really hard on the bike and nursing it, not nursing it, but just being considerate of the bike is really important. So just so people understand what you're talking about with the clutch is that when the clutch heats up, the, the clutch pack expands, takes up the slack that would otherwise be there in that in the cable. So that's your your lever, you know, flopping back and forth a tiny bit before it makes contact. And once that's gone, you have no idea what the adjustment's at. So if it keeps expanding a little bit more, then it starts to slip like you're saying and it, and it burns the clutch out. Yeah, that's a pretty common one. Just, you know, keep an eye on your temperature gauge if your bike has one. Um, some of the bikes actually have a, an oil temperature readout. That's a really good thing to keep in aisle. Um, yeah, and if you have to, generally by the time the bike's overheating, you'll probably be overheating as well. So it's a nice opportunity to stop and take a break. I remember, actually, I remember years ago, um, I went by my, this is, sounds stupid as even as I say it, I went by myself on an 1190 
into the desert of Dubai, at the back of Dubai, and just like got so stuck in the steepest, softest sand I've ever been in. And I found out that if you push an 1190 event hard enough in the soft sand and get them hot enough, eventually they'll just switch off. <laughs> Something in the ECO goes, nope, enough of this. Stop. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it took me hours to get out of there because I basically just had to ride until it went, nope, no more of this. Stop. Okay, right, wait for And it was so freaking hot. The thing was couldn't even really cool down. No wind, no air. Like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> basically did the opposite of everything I've just talked about. Right. <laughs> and that's what we tend to do in stressful situations, isn't it? It's, it's, uh, it's easy to lose your head. You just want to get out and you push yeah, it and yeah. you break it. And other things to think about, especially for, for guys that are traveling, uh, you're going to use a lot more fuel in sand riding than you will in, in normal riding, normal terrain riding. Uh, so you, your fuel range is going to get tested um, if you're in the sand for a long time. And you're going to work a lot physically harder yourself, so you're going to need a lot of water. Uh, you know, you're going to want the camelback full and the fuel tank full if you're going for a big, long sand ride. Mm-hmm. I think for the majority of, uh, of, of riders, unless you live in an area where you've got a lot of sand, like, you know, Dubai or something like that, or, or, or the, uh, the outback of Australia or something, unless you have one of those places, you're, you're probably going to come across sand intermittently. And, and I think that's probably one of the things that makes it so difficult. And then, and then obviously the answer is that you search it out and you go and play in it. You go and practice it and figure it out. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And the, the cool thing is, and I should say, like we, we talked all the fear of sand. Once you figure out sand riding, it's really, really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, you can be so much more aggressive and get on the power and spray sand around the place. And it's really fun once you get the techniques in place. So yeah, I would imagine there's at least one or two people listening to this going and the message is right. I'm never riding in sand again. Uh, ever. <laughs> that sounds terrible. Uh, put the work in, uh, get the technique in place and it can be really rewarding. It could be great fun. And if you ever get the chance to do sand dune riding, it's so cool. It's, like surfing on a motorbike. Uh, one thing I should add to this as well, um, again, this is probably talking more about like the bigger adventure bikes, so not so much the dual sport bikes, that's the thing, but the big girls, um, they don't do whoops. So if it's sat, a soft sand trail that's had a lot of bikes go down, it's, it's a high trafficked area, you're going to get sand whoops, uh, which is, you know, the, what do you guys are they called different things in different countries? Does hopefully whoops make sense? Yeah, to you? that makes sense. Yeah, I'm trying to think of it. It's, um, yeah, like whoopties do. So, yeah, they're one after yeah. the other, little little hills. Yeah, basically from the bike hitting one and dumping down to the next one keeps making it you bigger all the time. Yeah, yeah. Adventure bikes don't do whoops very well at all. Um, if you start trying to charge through the whoops, uh, you're going to overwhelm the suspension. Um, the bike's going to kick and flap, and it gets they can get quite dangerous quite quickly. So as much as we want to be trying to maintain this uh, this riding speed to sustain on the plane like we've talked about, if I'm on my big bike and, I, and there's a big section of whoops, I'll slow down for sure. That's uh, mm-hmm. not something that the big bikes excel at. It's incredible what you can do with a big bike now, but uh, whoops is like, oh, scary. Do you bend your knees when you when you go through them? On your adventure bike? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I'm trying to do everything I can to help the bike through, um, soak them up, keep the back tire on the ground, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But obviously I can only do that so fast. So that's a big part of where that speed comes down. If, I, if I'm going too fast, I can't keep up with the frequency. I'm just going to start hammering through my suspension. The back's going to pack down and it's going to unload. And that's right. not going to be a fun scenario. So yeah, 
just a bit of caution there around the sand whoops. Mm-hmm. Anything else we should be talking about here? Um, I think the overall message for me uh, I would give for sand riding is if you're new to sand riding and you're on an adventure bike, do the homework first before you get into the sand. Get your standing position dialed. Get your cornering techniques dialed. Get your uh, use of your hips and your shoulders to balance the bike dialed. And then take that experience and that skill set into the sand. If you don't do that and you're first and you're just straight into the sand, it's going to be a really big day. And the learning you will get out of that will probably be, I don't like riding sand. And that's a real shame because sand riding can be very, very fun when it's done with the right techniques. Mm. It's always interesting to me how many times that we come to this, that, that you know, go back and practice your, your basic skills before you, you get into something else because it's everything. And you see this with sports, don't you? I mean, you, you see, oh. you know, people who are really high up in sports doing those basic skills. Absolutely. Um, all, every sport is about doing the fundamentals of that sport really, really well. Like you, the, the, the example I, get, I always think is like, it's like swimmers, hundred meter swimmers. Anyone can swim a hundred meters. It's about doing something that's not that hard to do perfectly Mm -hmm. for example like getting your standing you can get anybody to stand on a motorbike no problem doing that absolutely perfectly really hard to do so coming back to your basic fundamentals of your sport no matter what that sport is regularly and just getting that really strong base is is so important and motorbike riding is no different to any other should in my mind you shouldn't approach motorbike riding any differently to any other sport uh, the analogy we use in New Zealand, you know, we're a rugby nation. You would not take up rugby by just entering a game of rugby. Mm-hmm. You would have to go to practice first or else you would get hurt. Mm-hmm. Same thing for riding motorbikes. Oh, that's that's a good analogy. I like that. So, so once again, though, those basic skills that we need to practice. Right. So basic skills for sand riding, um, core fundamentals of off-road riding first. So coming back to the correct standing position, using your body weight to create the balance, correct cornering techniques, good brake control, good clutch control, balance, all that sort of big base of the of the pyramids, of your riding pyramid sort of stuff. Specific sand stuff, being able to launch the bike aggressively straight up onto the foot pegs. So you're not having to sit down and paddle, paddle, paddle to let your clutch out. Your clutch is out, you're straight up on the pegs, ready to go riding aggressively straight away. Um you're wanting to really focus on using your hips and your body weight to control the bike, not your handlebars. So learning to teach yourself to leave the handlebars alone. That's a really easy thing to say. It's quite a hard thing to implement. So accept that that's going to take quite a bit of figuring out, retraining your brain to leave your bars alone and use your body to balance the bike. That's a really, really important part of sand riding. And a really, really good cheat to it is if it's ju- if it's raining or it's just finished raining, that's a great day to go and try sand riding. The wetter the sand, the heavier sand, that's when you want to dip your toe into the water or dip your toe into the sand. Don't go out in the middle of summer on the super hot, dry day. Save that for later. All right. Thanks, Chris. No problem. <laughs> That was Chris Birch from his base in New Zealand. Now, if you want to get a chance to get some live instruction from Chris, 
He offers courses in New Zealand, and this summer, he's going to be back in the U.S. for another tour of adventure clinics. He'll be in Georgia, Virginia, and Utah, and he also told me that he's hoping to run clinics in Colorado and Las Vegas. Now, his dates usually sell out very quickly for obvious reasons, so you'll want to move fast and book a spot. His website is saynotoslow.nz or nz, and then click on the the coaching link, and there's a, a link there for you to book a spot. And of course, we have that link in the show notes on our website, adventureriderradio.com. Hey, I just want to remind you that this episode has been brought to you by Green Chili Adventure Gear, greenchiliadv.com, Motobreeze Chain Oiler at motobreeze.com, and Best Rest Products at cyclepump.com. And we'd really appreciate it if anytime you're dealing with these companies, anytime, email or otherwise, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer Elizabeth Martin and of course you thank you very much for being a part of this by listening we have another show that we do called Adventure Rider Radio Raw it comes out once a month it's roundtable talks about motorcycle travel it's very popular as well you need to subscribe separately for that if you drop by our website adventureriderradio.com all that information is there now if you haven't done it already we would love to get a five star review from you wherever you're listening to your podcast because that helps other people find the show. So just take a minute and throw in your comments there and give us that while I'm asking for a five star. I'm hoping you're going to do that. But in any case, we would really appreciate it if you would do that. Um, otherwise, if you're not supporting the show, this is built on a model of advertising and listener support. We need your support. We really do. So if you haven't done it already, drop by the website, have a look around and click on the support button. Well, it's time to get out there and ride your bike if you can. My name is Jim Martin. Thank you very much for listening. I really appreciate it. And I'll talk to you next week. I'm Ted Simon, and I'm here on Adventure Rider Radio talking to Jim Martin, and it's a pleasure and a, and a privilege.